This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hey everybody, this is Tony Fleece. I'm an artist on My Little Pony Comic Books. You're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. And their friendship is magic. Sort of break it, break it down like good. The time for waiting is over. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 164 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, May 28th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not taking shirtless selfies in my favorite Mexican wrestling masks, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not retweeting pics of my shirtless co-host and moderating the Matt Bomb Sans Shirt subreddit, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of The Legend of Bold Riley, number one, and Dead Body Road, number six. There's no other way to say that, by the way. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's comics so fast that our more conservative listeners will call it irresponsible and downright dangerous during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll retire to the teaching Sanctum Sanctorum, where a blinged out Jordy LaForge is shilling for Kickstarter dollars and talking with us about next week's comics. And then the honorable two-headed judge will hear the case for the defense of Battle Chasers, as represented by Wooly Toots himself, during another exciting Defenders segment. But before we complain to the post office about losing our invitation to Kanye and Kim's wedding, let's all take a closer look at the Comics for Pugs Foundation on Twitter, because it seems a little shady for me, and I think it's run by somebody in this house. And then, we'll talk about this week's big news! We got big news! You know them as the hosts of Comics Therapy, THN Love Slaves, and or contributors to the answer of the week, but did you know that Aaron Myers and Andrea Shockling are actually internet superheroes? What you talking about, Joe? I'm gonna tell you. In a truly bizarre sequence of events that is still more than a little hazy, Aaron, Andrea... Bleeding Cool's Rich Johnston, and even Mark Wade found themselves embroiled in an online battle with Michael Whitehead. That's a heck of a name. It really is. <laughs> president of a Mississippi-based charity called Comics for Kids. Comics for Kids claimed to do exactly what it sounds like, place donated comics into the hands of eager children. Following a tip from friend and listener Cameron Williams, Aaron pointed out a photo that Comics for Kids posted with the caption, Quote, this little boy just won best artist at his school. We will give him one comic for every retweet this tweet gets. End quote. The photo received several hundred retweets, which prompted the organization to ask for donations. Aaron pointed out that the child in the photo, who was holding an award certificate with his name, had the same last name as Whitehead, <laughs> Brutal the <bummer>. charity's president. <laughs> which prompted several uncomfortable questions about the charity's giving practices. What followed was a 24-hour-plus saga of vicious name-calling, accusations, deleted posts, and altered stories from Whitehead directed at anyone that dared question him, everything but the simple proof that his so-called charity was legitimate. Bleeding Cool stepped in with an article on the situation, adding fuel to the fire. And when Whitehead specifically directed some of his charity's 20,000 Twitter followers to attack our heroes and tank Comics Therapy's reviews on iTunes, Mark Wade himself stepped in. That freaking guy. I know. Gotta love him. Comics for Kids, quote, We have been accused of many things in the last 24 hours, saying that a nonprofit is stealing from its donors is just plain wrong, end quote. Mark Wade, quote, 
So is directing your followers to hate spam and iTunes podcast because they rightfully called you on a bad move, asshole. Everyone makes mistakes. It's my superpower. But ginning up a hate mob to defend your screw up is loathsome. I don't, know, I don't necessarily agree with that. What? Which part? Uh, I just, I'm a real big fan of angry mobs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> During the ordeal, a number of people stepped forward with stories about Whitehead's shady behavior after donations were made, reports of misogyny, and downright shittiness <laughs> in general. Ultimately, the backlash has prompted Whitehead to shut down comics for kids, at least for now. He posted that the remaining donated comics would be given to a local Goodwill. We're not reporting this story to have a debate about it. It seems that the day has been won. Good has triumphed over evil for now, just like in all our favorite comics. But during all of this nonsense, Aaron, Andrea, and Comics Therapy did take a hit from those followers of Comics for Kids that bought into the bullshit that Michael Whitehead was selling. Matt and I are urging all of our listeners to head to the Comics Therapy page in the iTunes store, check out their show, and, now this is the important part, leave them a star rating and a written review and then report the reviews that you think are unjustified, those that look like they were left in retaliation. It's real simple. Just look at the ones that are all on the same day earlier this week. Right. <laughs> I found two of them. Uh, I found two of them posted on the same day, and if you look at them for more than five seconds, you will know immediately that they were both posted by Michael Whitehead from two different accounts. He signed his name to one. Nice job, Mike. He is a real genius. He's a super genius. <laughs> I'd love nothing more than to see iTunes drowning in positive comics therapy reviews, but be truthful. It's all they were asking for. Comics therapy is a great show that deserves your attention and your honest review. Don't let them be punished for going after those that prey on the generosity of others. And honestly, everybody, we're not just saying this because these are friends of ours. Even if Comics for Kids was a legitimate organization and they were wrongfully accused for whatever... The guy that runs it handled it so poorly. And yeah. any, any organization that was running like this would fire this guy instantly. Right. So, I mean, the injustice was done one way or another. Whether or not, I, I mean, we can't go in and know what was actually going on. All I can tell you is he absolutely handled this as poorly right. as it could be possibly handled. Here's, so this isn't just rah-rah, help our friends. No. This is, this guy's a fucking jackass. Here's the reality of the situation. If you're a charity and somebody questions what you do and your response is not to provide documentation right. and proof and, and credentials. Or just calm-headedness. And rather you attack and slander and curse and sick people on others, that doesn't just make you a jerk. It makes you absolutely look like the fraud people think you are. Yeah, chances are you're a shady asshole. So there it is. In Hollywood news, both Variety and Latino Review are reporting that Jonah Hex star James Brolin. Wow. <laughs> Did I write James Brolin? Yeah. I, I typed James Brolin, caught my mistake, and then went back to correct it. Typed James Brolin a second time without even thinking about it. James is dead. <laughs> I don't think James Brolin is dead. I'm pretty sure James died. Jonah Hex star Josh Brolin. Uh, which I'm sure he loves be referred to as Jonah Hexstar, will be playing Thanos in Marvel Studios' upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy. Film. Men in Black 3 star Josh Brolin. <laughs> as well as the character's subsequent appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. To be fair, Men in Black 3 reviewed much better than Jonah Hex. Marvel Studios has yet to confirm the report, but 
as fans of the site have come to know, Latino Review is rarely mistaken. Blows my mind, but man, those guys, solid f***ing comic journalists. Yeah. This, this just in, James Brolin is still alive. Okay, good for James. Thanos is expected to be more of a background player in the Guardians of the Galaxy, and the character is rumored to be the villain in Avengers 3, the culmination of everything the studio has done since Iron Man in 2008. Joe, what do you think of the casting? You know what? I think Josh Brolin absolutely has the capacity to play this kind of dark, like, he, he could be whatever scary f***ing dude. More importantly, you know what they cast? They cast the chin, baby. Josh Brolin has got <laughs> the chin. Well, that, yeah, well, that means he's sculpted. Here's, here's hoping that it's not just uh, CGI, that there's some sort of three lumps practical on, effects. Three lumps on there and boom. Yeah, <laughs> you got Thanos. You don't even have to put him in costume. I am heavy into it. I think Josh Brolin is a really good actor. Oh, he's great. That has made some questionable choices. Well, I mean, who hasn't, you know? But. I think I have no qualms with his casting as Thanos. No, I love it. Finally, a rumor that Marvel Comics is putting the Fantastic Four on hiatus has been gaining traction over the past couple of days. It started with a report on Bleeding Cool noting the complete absence of any characters controlled by 20th Century Fox on the cover of Marvel's upcoming 75th anniversary magazine. The post contained unsubstantiated reports that Marvel will place both Fantastic Four and Ultimate FF on hold. And even that images featuring the characters have been removed from the Marvel offices. Now, evidence has surfaced from more than one artist showing that Marvel has forbidden the use of the FF and its related characters for things like trading card artwork. Comic book resources joined Bleeding Cool posting, quote, CBR cannot confirm the exact future of Fantastic Four and Ultimate FF, but has confirmed with multiple industry sources speaking on the condition of anonymity that a hiatus for the property is reportedly planned, at least as of recently, end quote. It is expected that the characters will continue to appear in the Marvel Universe, just not in their own titles. But why? Bleeding Cool said, quote, the belief inside the higher echelons of Marvel is that promoting these properties in comics only benefits Fox's movies at the expense of those from Marvel Studios, which is why the Inhumans are being pushed as mutant replacements in the Marvel Universe. And Marvel have been pushing Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, and other comics over the X-Men. And while X-Men comics remain solid sellers, they are no longer the focus of internal promotion unless, as with the upcoming Axis event on the cover of this month's previews, the Avengers get equal billing. End quote. Matt, what do you make of this? Could Marvel be making a stand in an attempt to get control of their characters back? And could a move like this do more harm to the FF property than good? This sure sounds like a fantastic conspiracy theory. I just find it really, really hard to believe. Now, if you want to say... I would have found it hard to believe if it was only Bleeding Cool. I get I get it. I get it. And there's a lot of things that, you know, you look at and, and you can go, oh, man, that is odd, you know. But at the same time, there's just no way that... First of all, let's do this. Saying that putting out Fantastic Four comics and pumping up the FF is bad for Marvel movies, that's utter b and no one is going to say, oh, you know what? I'm done with Marvel movies. I'm just going to go see the Fantastic Four movies. No, I think what they're saying is that, like, if they feel obligated to promote Fox's movies because it features their characters. It could hurt their it's own It's coming brand. at the expense of resources that could be used to promote their own 
And I get that. But what's good for that movie is good for their comics, too. I mean, there's no argument there. And you don't own the the rights to the Fantastic Four anymore, which were given up during their Marvel bankruptcy days. They did get the end of the stick there. I wish more than anything the Fantastic Four was back in Marvel Studios. But that's not the reality of it. This would be an act of shooting themselves in the foot. It just does not make sense. I find it really hard to believe. You want to say... that here's, here's what I think makes it plausible. Well, let, let me finish this thought real quick. I'm not saying it doesn't look odd. I just find it really hard to believe that they're going to be like, you know what? We're going to murder the Fantastic Four. That's not what and they're And then we're going to tear that's Wolverine not, in half. That's not what they're saying. They're saying we're going to stop putting out the Fantastic Four comic. The Fantastic Four still exists in the Marvel U. They're going to show up in the Avengers. They're going to show up wherever. But we're done helping a rival movie studio promote their stuff Here's why I think it's plausible. Look, when the thing eats Wolverine and then shoots the ultimate nullifier up his butt, I'll buy it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying it's true, and I'm and everything is certainly unsubstantiated, right. and it's like anonymous sources and right. secondhand information. But it's enough secondhand information and enough unsubstantiated claims to make you really think about it. And the reason I think it's plausible is because Fantastic Four is not a top seller for Marvel. No, its numbers are definitely down. James Robinson's numbers. So, what have been do they really lose down. by putting it on the shelf for a while? <sighs> I mean, not forever. No, no, no. No one is saying they're killing the FF or canceling it outright for good. I'm not going to say this doesn't look odd. There's a great conspiracy I'm saying theory if it here. It looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. It's probably a f- Fantastic Four comic. Sometimes could be a muskrat. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> James Brolin is dead. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where we are routinely whipping our 22 Twitter followers into a foaming hate spam frenzy and then turning them loose on the Nerds Network until such time as they decide to include us. Then we go after Sirius XM. Take it to them, boys! <laughs> Every Sunday, the hate-mongering Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in our THN web forum. I'm just where? an angry young man. It's true. Which you can find by clicking the link at nerd.com. Joe Patrick, let's pause the tape and talk about- I wh- got one. Oh, you got one. Joe Patrick, what are we asking the listeners this week? It's the one we were going to do last week when we it. decided to do the X-Men instead. Hey. Look, man. Wooly Toots is knocking him out of the park with his question suggestions. I know that a lot of you have sent in suggestions, and we'll get to them. Okay. Shonix sent a whole MP3 full of suggestions, but this one was too good to pass up. Okay. Wooly Toots wants to know, what is your favorite artifact, weapon, or item of power from the world of comic books? I love this. For example... Green Lantern's ring. Power ring. Yeah. Infinity gauntlet. Grass cutter. Sure. Spider-Man's web shooters. Okay, stop naming stuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> They're out there. You know them. You love them. We want to know your favorite. Pace Pot Pete's glue gun. I mean, there it is. Absolutely. Bang. You have until this coming Thursday at midnight, the end of the day. <laughs> you got that? Central time. Wednesday, 12.01 is the cutoff. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thursday. Wait a minute. I'm confused. <laughs> Thursday. You have until the fourth day of the working week. <laughs> At midnight, to get us your answer, you can call us and leave a message with your answer using Skype, our Skype handles to it at nerd, all one word, or at our cigarette hotline, 402-819-4894. But please remember, we have lots of people that like to contribute, so keep it concise. We say three minutes, but really, 
you can get it done in less time than that. If it's over three minutes, Google will just shut you down. It's true. And Matt will not tolerate it either. I will not. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Again, keep it on the short side. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. Remember, favorite means favorite. One answer. One answer. On the forums, you can list as many things as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go nuts. You can list your top 10 items of power. No rules there. It's Wild West. It is the Wild West. Great. I don't even, we don't even moderate that. <laughs> it's nuts. It's review time at THN where Joe and I respond to hate spamming from creators on our iTunes reviews by slamming their comic books on this show. Joe Patrick, what are you tearing apart this week? This week, I'm reviewing The Legend of Bold Riley, number one from Northwest Press, written by Leah Wethington. Wethington. With art by Jonathan Dalton. Here's your solicit. Bold Riley, who has set out to find adventure in the lands beyond her home of Prackalore, comes across a fragment of bone that shares a tale of lost love. Riley tries to reunite the lost spirit with its beloved, but soon discovers that all is not as it seems. I thought I had my reviews all planned out for this week when I came across The Legend of Bold Riley at the shop. I'd never heard of Northwest Press before, but the stunning cover by Brittany Sabo caught my eye. After doing a little research, I discovered that this isn't the first Bold Riley adventure. Here's a quote from the first graphic novel. She has hunted the wildest game and dallied with countless beautiful girls, but still longs to know the world beyond the city wall. Princess Rila Vashana Sanparit, nice. called Bold Riley, leaves behind her station and sets out to travel through distant lands and finds forgotten ruins, fearsome enemies, inscrutable gods, and tragic love, end quote. To sum it up, Bold Riley is an adventurer that has left her old life behind to tear shit up in a world full of magic and mystery. This issue is kind of a folktale told in the third person as Bold makes her way to a hidden city and finds a mysterious talking bone during her carousing. The story is very simple, but that's not a slam. It's well told, and the art by Jonathan Dalton is great. Dalton's work here is rich with detail and kind of reminds me of a cross between the cartoony style of Wendy Peeney, co-creator of ElfQuest, and the lush watercolors of Jill Thompson. What really struck me about this issue is the fact that Bold Riley is a female, lesbian, person of color, starring as the lead character, and none of those aspects are presented in a sensationalized way. Bold likes to have fun and romance the ladies, but her sexuality is never the focus and is never meant to titillate. The story isn't trying to make any statements. Bold Riley simply is who she is, and there's nothing strange or offensive about it. The issue of minority representation in pop culture is a pretty hot topic right now, and I think a book like this has come at just the right time. Northwest Press is dedicated to publishing quality comics celebrating the LGBT community, and if this is indicative of the type of quality they strive for, then they definitely deserve wider recognition. It is weird. This sort of folk fantasy wouldn't normally be my cup of tea. The Legend of Bold Rally number 1, though, caught me in just the right mood and I was impressed with the high level of craftsmanship and the attitude of inclusiveness behind its production and publication huge buy it I'm giving it a huge buy it too I really enjoyed this and I couldn't agree more it was very much a folk tale starring a lesbian I mean which yeah. at any other company Marvel and DC included would be here's the new you know 
Indian princess who's gay, gay, gay. You know, like they would totally go for it. And it would be the selling point. Right. It would absolutely be a selling point. It would be a story in USA Today. It would be, oh, we're just doing it to include everybody, but you know, it's also pretty sensational, right? Here, they do an excellent job of giving you a character. She's brave. She's tough. She's not afraid to go on adventures by herself. She happens to be a lesbian, and she's just kick-ass in every manner. We need more female roles like this. This is good for comics, and it was really, really well executed. It's super easy for liberal pansies like Joe and I to grab a book like this off the shelves and go, oh, look, it stars a girl, and she's an Indian. Well, let's say good stuff about it so we sound like we're open. But this was just a good comic book. Right. I'm like, if, I, if it was bad, I would tell you. Right. I mean, I, you can't argue with this. It's really, really solid stuff. I'm giving it a huge buy it. We, I should say that there's nothing necessarily wrong with a company like Marvel saying, here's a new title starring the adventures of Minority X. Right. Because sometimes you need to let the people know hey, this is a thing. Right. Like with Ms. Marvel, the new Ms. Marvel. It's Kamala Khan. She's a Muslim. Right. In the book, it's not about the adventures of the Muslim Ms. Marvel. Right. No, it's the adventures of this girl superhero. And that's another one that's being handled very well. The promotion is promotion and story is story. And sometimes you have to separate the two. Sometimes companies can't, like some of the early stories with Kate Kane's Batwoman. Right. Before Greg Rucka did her solo solo stuff, but this was just here. It is. This is who she is. Nothing about it is weird. Right. And if more comics were handled like this, yeah. I mean, the entire comic this book is how, marketplace. This would is be how it should all be handled. It. Right. Yeah. This is how everything should be handled, and it's very well done. And not only is the book well done, but the production quality of the actual physical product is outstanding. Yeah. For a company I've never heard of. Yeah, this is a very slick-looking book on glossy paper. It looked really nice. Well done. My one criticism, I can't get anybody from Northwest Press to write me back. Yeah, what the (laughs) hell, guys? Matt, what did you review this week? This week, I read Dead Body Road, number six from Image. This is written by Justin Jordan with art by Matteo Scalera. Dead Body Road is a story of an ex-cop, Orson Gage, out for revenge after his wife, also a cop, was killed during a bank robbery. He'll need the help of his old partner, who he took down with him after admitting to stealing drug money, and the wife of the dead hacker killed in Gage's bloody wake to get to the man who set up the bank job. All he needs is to get these two people who want him dead to play along just long enough for his plan to come to its explosive end. I, pardon the pun, but I shotgunned this entire series because I got so sick of reading all the good reviews of it. I had to see why it was great. I'm really glad that I did. This is not a happy story, though. In the end of each issue, Jordan writes a short essay about his inspiration for the story and how he mapped out each issue. He writes about falling in love with the crime writing of Elmore Leonard, who wrote Get Shorty and Lawman, which was the inspiration for FX's Justified, and Richard Stark, who wrote the Parker novels that Darwin Cook has been adapting, that Joe and I also both love. Neither man wrote stories with happy endings. Theirs were crime stories populated by untrustworthy monsters that would betray anyone for the right amount of cash and do so in extremely violent ways. By the sixth issue of Dead Body Road, I had accepted that there were no heroes in this story. Gage isn't a bad guy, but he's not the Punisher either. Jordan writes 
as a man focused on his plan for revenge, so much so that he's not counting on living a single minute longer than after his succession. And he's also fine with the thought of dying while trying. Each issue, Jordan and Scalera were able to surprise me by breaking rule after rule. First, we see what seems to be the helpless female lead turn into a raging psychopath. Then we get an entire issue of ultra-violent car chases, which is something that's notoriously hard to pull off in comic format. And all the while, the character we're supposed to be rooting for seems to become as evil as the men that he's murdering. (laughs) This was violent, mean-spirited, crime comic book fiction at its best with some of the most kinetic and bloody artwork I've seen since Jordan's Legend of Luther Strode. Matteo Scalera has quickly become one of my favorite artists working in comics today, and he shines here, drawing bikers exploding at high speed under the tires of muscle cars and aging thugs getting beheaded with shovels. Dead Body Road could absolutely be accused of being gratuitous, and it is. This is violence for the sake of violence. This is mean criminals being mean criminals. And here's your spoiler alert. There is no happy ending. (laughs) That said, there is hope and a greater sense of mystery of how the smallest action can set off a chain reaction of events that changes the lives of everyone in its way. I can't wait to see a movie version of this. Somebody better be working on it right now. This is a gigantic buy it. Well, it's a skybound property, so it's a safe bet. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so uh, confession, Matt picked this kind of late in the week because he was just inspired by how much he enjoyed it. I just loved it too much. We had made other plans, so I did not read uh, Dead Body Road number six because I'm way, way behind. Uh, But I did read number one way back when it came out, and I loved it, and I just never had a chance to keep up with it. I plan to, but I can't review this issue. I abstain. That's all right. Middle of the road trying to find me So that's a double buy it for the legend of Bold Riley number one and a single buy it for Dead Body Road number six. Of course, you want to know what you brave princesses and sociopaths thought of these books. So hit us up with your opinions over to this week's comics section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Come on now, in the middle of the road, yeah. We all agree that a contest ends in one victor and one loser, right? So how does an institution as famous for humiliating children as the Scripps National Spelling Bee allow their contest to end with two winners? Horse You never heard of the saying, two men enter, two men leave? Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> how indeed. Rest assured, we here at the Ziggurat have a way to settle this and restore balance to the term contest as we know it. Shortly after the National Spelling Bee, THN operatives kidnapped the two winners and ran them through a Running Man-esque labyrinth of traps and gladiators. Not that Hunger Games bull****. (laughs) Hunting the two down and not giving a single about their spelling abilities because, obviously, spelling is no way to judge a youngster's ability. Seriously. So join us now as we watch these winners run for their lives through our death trap chased by the THN love slaves in awesome Road Warrior-inspired costumes while we review 10 of this week's new comics and restore a little order to the spirit of competition during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed, go! 
Dr. Spectre, Master of the Occult, number one from Dynamite. Mark Wade and Neil Edwards' entry into the Gold Key universe starts off with a bang as a monster-fighting TV personality nearly crumbles under the weight of his own success and obsession. Great art, great premise, and hey, there's that link between the Gold Key titles I was looking for. Hey! Buy it! Godzilla, Rulers of the Earth, number 12 from IDW. Writer Chris Mowry and artist Matt Frank are obviously having fun here, throwing damn near every kaiju you can think of, including Jet Jaguar, into this story. Jet Jaguar. <laughs> I love that dude. That ends the Devonian saga. I felt the need to check this series out again after seeing the latest Big G movie, and it's still a perfectly satisfying giant monster romp with badass kaiju art by Matt Frank. This isn't something you need to read unless you love giant monsters, but it was pretty fun. I'm giving it a very strong skim it. Shoe Revival one-shot from Image. The creators of two of Image's most successful series team up for a weird story that seems right at home in both titles. Five bucks for two complete stories by each series' original creative team, both of which are perfect for curious first-time readers. This is a no-brainer. Buy it. We discussed this one on the show, and we weren't sure how it was going to go. I'm glad they succeeded. It went very well. That's awesome. Dry Spell number one from Danger Zone. This... <laughs> This is a story of Tom Ferris, a hero who gave up his career for the comfort of a nine-to-five job. Now, his secret has been discovered by someone he works with, another, quote, hero, and they want Tom to come back to his persona. And, as it turns out, it was psychedelic drugs that made Tom brave. <laughs> Writer and artist Ken Kreckler does a really nice job of telling the story of a hero that just wants to quit but gets pulled back into the life with the help of a co-worker and a handful of pills. Cool story and cool art. Nicely done, Danger Zone. You guys are coming up. Give me a buy it. C period, O period, W period, L period, number one from Image. That spells cow for the reading impaired. <laughs> Go. I really dug this issue by Kyle Higgins, Alex Siegel, and Rod Rice. The superhero workers union in the 60s hook is compelling, but right now the hook is all there really is. I need more plot to really sink my teeth into. What elevates this book, though, is the phenomenal art by Rod Rice, which looks like a cross between Phil Noto and Bill Sienkiewicz. Truly stunning. Buy it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm giving the story some time to get going, but the art, oh, it's so good. Thanos Annual number one from Marvel. Jim Starlin and Ron Lim give readers a story that takes place somewhere in between the pages of Infinity Gauntlet. I know exactly where. It's <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet number four when Thanos is killing everyone. <laughs> wow. This was classic Starlin Marvel cosmic storytelling, and it was fun as hell. Long-winded, hard to follow, and fun as hell. Ron Lim is still just as impressive an artist as ever, and truthfully, this felt timely as ever for the adventures of the Mad Titan through different times and dimensions. I don't know what other rating I can give this, but a buy it. It's weird. Like, I was talking to Jason, co-owner of Legend, about how Thanos, uh, Starlin's stuff always kind of exists in its own bubble. Yeah. And no one will ever reference it except for him. Yeah. And But this just really made me happy. It totally worked. It, it, like, I went into it going, oh, great. That's what this is. And by the time it's done, it's like, man, that was great. I'm going to say something that might be controversial to older fans. If Starlin had drawn it instead of Ron Lim, I think we'd be thinking differently. Because that dude's art does not hold up. Ah, I agree. The Midas Flesh, number six from Boom. If you're not reading this quirky sci-fi story written by the creator of Dinosaur Comics, then you are missing out. Tremendously fun adventure with super high stakes wrapped up in deceptively cartoony but really awesome artwork. This series has been a blast so far. It keeps getting better. 
I can't wait to see how it ends. Buy it. Trees, number one from Image. It's time for us all to admit that Alan Moore was a genius, but Warren Ellis continues to be one to this day and with every new comic book that he writes. Trees is a story of humanity being visited by an alien race that doesn't even recognize them as being intelligent and what happens when they try to get noticed. Super dinosaur artist Jason Howard is just amazing here, drawing outside of himself. I didn't even know it was him. Drawing another one of Ellis's near-future nightmares with an almost completely unrecognizable manga-inspired quality. This was wonderful sci-fi comic book storytelling about what happens when humanity is put in its place, and I loved it. Buy it. Adventures of Superman number 13. DC. I don't check out every issue of Adventures of Superman, but there was no way I was going to pass up seeing a Superman story illustrated by Lock and Key's Gabriel Rodriguez. I didn't know he drew it. Yep. The story by B. Claymore is pretty standard, but it's fun, and it features a lot of great references to a lot of my favorite cheesy Superman villains, like Terra Man, who is a cowboy that fires six guns that have magical weird properties, and he rides a Pegasus. Okay. <laughs> Look him up. Thank you, Silver Age Superman. <laughs> the art is just gorgeous. Worth checking out. Buy it. Nightbreed number one from Boom. Clive Barker and writer Mark Andreco dig into the history of the Nightbreed, the monsters that live amongst us, and the city that calls to them, Midian. I have loved this story since I read Barker's novel, Cabal, which is where the Nightbreed came from, 20 plus years ago. I loved the movie, too. I can't tell you how happy I am to see this in comic format with the incredible art of Piotr Kowalski, who's been killing it on Joe Casey's sex over at Image. Here, we get a look at two of the Nightbreed you may remember from the movie, but this time they're in the Old South. This was just great. It was scary. It was dark. It was violent. Everything you want from a Clive Barker horror story. Buy it. I'm going to tell you something. Nightbreed did nothing for me. Oh, see, I just like the characters and I'm into the history. And it wasn't that I wasn't interested. It wasn't that I was scared of it. I went into it like excited. And I just thought that without any prior Nightbreed exposure, this is not a comic you're going to enjoy. It is probably, you know, preaching to the choir. I'll give you that. your ludicrous speed round and boom is the sound actual Thanos makes when he tackles ghost Thanos. Yes. As seen in the, (laughs) just trust us as seen in the pages of this week's Thanos annual number one from Marvel. Just trust Jim Starlin. He knows what he's doing. We'd like to welcome you again to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our good friend, Jordy LaForge, has just beamed down to tell us about his Kickstarter campaign to bring Reading Rainbow back, but this time as a paid app, which seems like a strange way to bring literacy to underprivileged kids, but hey, rich kids need to read too, I guess. Hold on. Other no, than- No, stop. <laughs> other than Commander LaForge's new gold and diamond encrusted visor and triple fur coat, Kickstarter success doesn't seem to have changed him at all. And he even brought us a stack of next week's comics as a thanks for the airtime. Joey, what did you find in that stack that looks worth reading? Your pick. It is my pick. Oh, oh we already went through all that. My pick for next week is Big Trouble in Little China, number one from Boom Studios, written by Eric Powell, with art by Brian Chirilla. Here's your solicit. Jack Burton, a macho truck-driving adventurer, finds a stowaway hiding on his rig, the Pork Chop Express. But that soon becomes the least of his troubles 
he helped his best friend Wang save his fiance from the clutches of a demon. But now, the wedding has been invaded by more evil forces with one thing on their minds. Revenge against Jack Burton. Map on. Do I even need to bother to ask what your pick is for this week? My pick of the week is Big Trouble in Little China, number one from Boom Studios, written by Eric Powell, with art by Brian Triela. Here's just a listen. I'm kidding. It's also my pick, though, because I <laughs> love Big Trouble in Little China so f***ing much. I do too, man. And I can't think of anyone better than Eric Powell to continue the adventures of Jack Burton. I am very excited that this is happening. I love Brian Chirilla, too. I oh, yeah. Absolutely Secret love Secret History of D.B. Cooper. Oh, yeah, man. I uh, did the Six Gun uh, spinoff series, Sons of the Gun. Oh. He's an amazing artist. This is going to be a ton of fun. The THN trade of the week is Afterlife with Archie, Volume 1, Escape from Riverdale, from Archie Comics, written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, with art by Francesco Francavilla. <laughs> These guys. Wow. You know what? Sounds sexy. I like to give him a little flourish. <laughs> when Jughead's beloved pet hot dog is killed in a hit and run, Jughead turns to the only person he knows who can help bring back his canine companion, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. This is everything parents were afraid of back <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Using dark forbidden magic, Sabrina is successful and Hot Dog returns to the land of the living, but he's not the same. And soon the darkness he brings back with him from beyond the grave begins to spread, forcing Archie and the gang to try to escape Riverdale. This collects Afterlife with Archie 1 through 5. If you are wondering why we won't shut up about Archie comics and all the stuff that they're doing these days, Pick up this book. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's too much fun. It's so good. Afterlife with Archie, you will not regret it. There's got to be something you ex-PBS gangsters are excited to read next week, so head over to the THN forums, click on the next week's comic sub-forum, and lay it on us. I am so upset with you for talking bad about Jordan LaForge. Hey, just throwing it out there. It's criticism. In a world without justice and vicious nerds just waiting to make fun of what you're reading, one two-headed judge stands tall with gavel in hand, giving the final say on what's cool and what sucks. What a terrible thing we have done. <laughs> Please rise for the honorable judge. Justice Joe is harsh, and Matt. dude. You know this. Today, on another exciting episode of The Defenders, Judge Joe and Matt will hear the case for the defense of Joe Maduria's unfinished 1990s image comics epic, Battle Chasers, and render their final verdict of f***ing awesome or f***ing awful. Order! I, Order should, the court. I should be screaming. <laughs> I call THN Love Slave and occasional co-host Jared Savitas, a.k.a. Wooly Toots, to the stands. Mr. Toots, the court is ready to hear your defense. Okay, here we go, guys. Battle Chasers is an awesome book, and here's why. Let's go back. Travel back. 1998. You got three hot new artists coming out of Marvel. Same as the Image guys, right? You got... This is like Image Wave 2. Yeah, you got Humberto Ramos. <laughs> That's, that's right? hot. <laughs> you got, uh, oh, Jay Scott. And then you've got Joey Mad. So this was the time of Danger Girl, Battle Chasers. Crimson. Crimson, that's right. Crimson. That's okay. right. Okay. And these guys are like, hey, Jim Lee, you got this Wild Storm thing going on. Guess what? These are our books. We're hot. We're coming off the X-Men and stuff. Boom. Let's cash in. Cliffhanger. It was Cliffhanger. Called. They also did... Aerosmith? That's right. Aerosmith and, was great. Uh, is that what Revelations came out under? No. I don't think no, so. No, no, no. Out there. Out there. 
Right. Wow. Uh, what, wow. A, what else was there? I don't there remember. There was, uh, oh, <laughs> Steampunk by Chris Bacalo and oh, that was Joe Kelly. Awesome. Yep. Oh, yeah. you liked the Steampunk book? It was, it was great. <laughs> it sounds like he needs to be on the Defenders. <laughs> it was really Dude, good. I, I loved Steampunk. The art was I loved, good. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, bam. I think Ben Franklin was the bad guy, wasn't he? Or something like that? Or no, I'm thinking of Scud the Disposable Assassin. All right. <laughs> I can see how you'd make that mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so here comes Battle Chasers. What is Battle Chasers? Battle Chasers is... I've read it was described as arcane punk, what? which I think is a horrible, horrible thing because you there's- You can't just throw punk around like no, that. No, 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 Come no. on. <laughs> there's very little steampunk in it. Sure, you have war golems, gun type. Yeah, I mean, there's like arcane, whatever. Anyways. There were steamy things going on. There was some- It's like Warcraft. Things. All right. So here's yeah, Battle Chasers. Yeah. Battle Chasers result, revolves around four heroes that are kind of put together. You have nine-year-old Gully- Little girl. I forgot she was nine. Nine-year-old. <laughs> you have Calibretto, who is a, he was a war, golem. war golem. Huge yeah. robotic thing. Last of his kind. He was the steampunk element. Steampunk element. You have uh, Garrison, the uh, retired drunk master swordsman. Tekken ripoff. <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. And then we have Nolan, the old man wizard, who is... Taken old to the extreme, 500 years old. Oh, wow. 500 years old. That's so old. Wow. That's so old. He makes his biblical patriarchs look like little <laughs> kids. <laughs> All right. And so uh, the main crux of the story is you have Gully, whose uh, father was a hero, legendary hero. Uh, he mysteriously disappears and leaves behind his magic gauntlets. Oh, it's all coming back to me now. Right? So she, of course, <laughs> inherits them through whatever reason and uh, becomes like, she's like the super strong one of the group because she's got these gauntlets that make her super strong. And then huge gloves. Huge gloves, She has like man. gigantic yeah, yeah, hands yeah, 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 right? on a little tiny girl. Okay. And, uh, but then enter one red Monica. Oh, God. Okay. Super sexy pirate chick. Uh, they're like roguey chick, triple super, P size yes. breast. <laughs> she she is uh, Joe uh, Joe Mad described her as Jessica Rabbit mixed with like Red Sonia. I'm gonna say bustiest comic book character of all time, big time. Like nice uh, try, Tarot Witch of the Black yeah, Rose. Like it's, you got a, nothing on Red Monica. She's a play. She's a play on Lady Death and like you know just the whole trope of like. Big busty oh, yeah. gals that were kind of Jim Ballant did a backflip when he saw her. Right? Should have just called her Red Jessica. Purgatory, <laughs> you know, we got Vampirella, all oh, those yeah. gals. So well, that was like, like a play coming off stuff. his Catwoman days too, yeah. when Catwoman <laughs> oh. was just like carrying around yes. bazoombas. Yes, know? yes, yes. <laughs> she approaches Garrison to uh, release, help her break a dude out of this super prison. And in do and he turns her down because man he gave up wielding his sword because his wife died on their wedding day. It's a big old sad thing. He's just become a drunk. He's worthless. And the sword is huge. It's like seven feet and long. It's got an eye. It opens up like the yeah. like, oh, uh, like the soul caliber, like a thunder yeah, or yeah. soul caliber. Lion, the see? soul caliber. Yes. Okay. And so uh, she he turns her down. She goes and breaks the dude out. And in doing so, she releases four extremely powerful villains. And the rest of the series is. They team up and they all fight these villains, you know, and things happen along the way. Did they win in the end? Oh, let's get to that. <laughs> this is a little trick question. The for end? You. <laughs> okay. You've got Joe Mad at his peak. Like, this is at him at his peak. This is some, a beautiful book. The guy put everything into it. 
I like, don't it disagree. Is a gorgeous book. I don't disagree. The story is, you know, if you're looking for sword and sorcery and things like that, then you know this is it's decent enough book. It's not a story that is like uh, super like important or like oh man, you have to read it. But I mean, it is a guy who's very passionate about what he's doing, and he put everything that he loves into it. You know, so like if you like manga, if you like video games. I mean, like, it's, there's a lot of it that's, like, very Final Fantasy-like. And like If you, you like saying, The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> if you like, you know... Uh, the movie, not, you know, not, right. yeah. not Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, so, I mean, this book should be right up your alley if you are into all those things. The things it did suffer from, okay, is scheduling. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, it took four years for him to put out nine issues. And there was even a 16-month gap between two issues. <laughs> now... Hey, I, I don't think that's worth bringing up because how many books, how long does it take Hellboy to come out? I don't give a shit how long it takes Hellboy to come out. I'll wait forever for a Hellboy issue. To be fair, yes. when Hellboy does come out, yes. it's a limited series. And sure. there's a distance, there's long distance sure. between limited series, mm -hmm. but there's not necessarily gigantic. No, untrue. There have oh, been no, huge gaps in between issues there of Hellboy and Hell. The storm took quite a while. That's right. Hey, man. This, these things happen. These are things we have to adjust to sure. and learn to deal with. There's always something else to read while right. you're waiting for this thing. Right. As long as the quality keeps up, whatever. Uh, okay. Secondly, the story didn't end. Issue 9 left with a cliffhanger. Issue 10 was solicited and, holy <laughs> the pre-orders were off the charts for it. <laughs> so that tells me the book was something. People were into it, man. People wanted it, People yeah. wanted it. People were into it. But Joe got an offer to go work on video games, and he left comics. Yeah. Now, I don't hold that against the guy because if I had a chance to work in comics, oh, right. if I had a chance to work in video games, I'd, yeah, I'd jump on it. It was obviously the dude's dream job well, uh, well, to go a, design video a games. A comic book sells in the 90s sells for, you know, a two bucks to four dollars tops, and a video game was selling for 50. So I'll let you guess which one you're going to make more money working on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so there's the scheduling problems and yes, the story didn't end, but Hey, the dude went out on a high note as opposed to, let's say, I heard you guys complain about the way superior Spider-Man ended. So what if he gave us a lackluster ending and then that would have dropped the book even. <laughs> so this is an argument for not ending your story. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> I am do yourself a favor and don't end it. <laughs> he always and the thing that frustrates me is he says he would like to go back and finish it. He always has meant to go back and finish it. He just needs the time. He's and he's always got something else on the plate. Then like, why does oh, he keep doing Marvel books? Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, like that's the thing. He's like, well, I got this Marvel thing, so I can't do it now. But trust me, I want to do it. They recently, what, in 2011, they collected it in a big oversized hardcover, and it had everything. It had all nine issues. It had the prelude issue. And then it also had uh, a short story that was in Frank Frazetta magazine, uh, issue number two, which he did a variant cover for, hey. Battle Chaser style. Wow. So, bam. If you are going to complain about the story not all coming out and whatever, you can get it collected now. Read the whole thing through and tell me it's not a damn good time. Because it is. Okay. Okay. He rests his case. We've heard the argument. I think I rest my case. <laughs> I think I rest my case. <laughs> That's the best I got, damn All it. right. All right. Well, let's talk through it, Joe Patrick. You know, I hadn't thought of it like this. Oh, wait a minute. You also get this, guys. In issue six and issue nine, you get oh, boy. backup story 
on the history of Red Monica and her relationship with Garrison, right? Ooh. Drawn by Adam Warren. Hey, Adam Warren's a good time. That was a, a plucky young Adam Warren at the time. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam Warren has always been old. <laughs> this is him coming after, like, after he did like Dirty Pair books yeah. and bu- uh, Bubblegum Crisis for Dark I think Horse. When yeah. Battle 13. Chasers was coming out, he was doing Gen 13. Gen 13. Probably, yeah, so. yeah. So, man, you get all kinds of good stuff here. Joe Patrick. Look, I mean, I don't even really think that this needed to be defended <laughs> because I always enjoyed Battle Chasers. Here's the thing. You and I were there. We were we were working in a comic yes, book Yes, I have painfully lived through every moment of the right. Battle Chasers so, saga. So, like, we were right there for it. Right. Each delay for customers coming in and going, when's it going to come out? When's it going to come out? Like, no one is arguing that it didn't sell like bananas. Wait, when did number one come out? When did it first start? 1998. Oh, see, that was before we started working. Oh, no, you're right. We were just collecting. But I think it was, they were still at it oh, when, yeah. we, when we started. Yeah, several years later <laughs> when we were working at a Yeah, because he went from Wildstorm, then I think he went to, uh, then Wildstorm got by, bought by DC. So mm, it was yeah. DC. Yeah, Wildstorm yeah. got bought by and DC. And then it finished off at Image. So like the book was in three different companies too. Man. Okay, well, I always thought Battle Chasers was a lot of fun, and like Toot said, maybe the story wasn't always the best, but... The it, story was bad. No, I don't even think the story was bad. I mean, it was it was obviously... I'm not saying it wasn't a clever idea. I like the group. I like the little girls, the strong man. That's ironic and fun. It was not a well-written story. Come on. You can't tell me it was a well-written story. he didn't write story. it. He wrote it with... Yeah. It's like Omar Sharif. Marir Sharif. I don't think it was Omar Sharif. I got the dude's name. Academy Award winner Omar Sharif. Sharif. (laughs) Munir Sharif. What has he done? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I've smoked a bunch of weed (laughs) at Joe Maduria, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) My point being. I think it was Yasser Arafat. He was co-written with Yasser Arafat. I think it was Boutros Ghali. Boutros Ghali. (laughs) Uh, If you look back at this book as like everything that was right and wrong about the 90s comic book scene at the same time, you know? It was big hollow foil covers. It was an artist trying to show everybody that he can come up with a property and write too. He don't need no writers helping him out, you know? It was guy breaking off from the big two to show he doesn't need these characters. He can do it on his own and pretty much failing. And I mean, you can't- doing it on his own. Yeah, and then not doing it on his own, <laughs> not finishing the story. You know, like well, having okay. the chance to sell all the comics in the world and not delivering, <laughs> you know? It's, all right, well, let me counter by saying that, or by asking- is it a failure? Because, I mean, he failed to finish it. Right. But were was it a failure as a whole? Because I bet you, I guarantee you, every time that book came out, it was hugely successful. That's where I'm going with this. That's why I say it was a gigantic success and a huge failure and pretty much summed up the 1990s. <laughs> In comics, <laughs> like you could, Fair. you could hold Battle Chasers up and say this is the quintessential '90s mm-hmm. book that was everything that was right and wrong about comics at the time. Here's it's my- really hard to pass judgment. So then it's very important, yeah, because, it's, <laughs> like, oh, because yeah, it covers it's, in and of it itself. It, is the 90s. it it's becomes like a, important. It's like a time you know? capsule. <laughs> yes, you know, it's it's a mirror that we hold up to the 1990s and go, look at yourself. <laughs> well, okay, so this is not maybe a compliment, but I never really read Battle Chasers for the story. You know? Okay. I, 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 it, Battle Chasers had a story. Right. We can all agree on it. The same way that Playboy has articles, you know? It's pretty to look at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can do some light reading. <laughs> so for me, Battle Chasers was more of a showcase to show what Joe Madureira was really capable of. Absolutely. And in that regard, I think it was a huge 
success. Absolutely. Uh, as a showcase for his art. In the same way that I would buy an art book. Right. That's just a series of, you know, pinups or, or concept art or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And Joe Maderia came out of that Jim Lee school of art where you draw one really cool looking posed character that takes up the whole f- panels. You don't have to draw any background. Or, <laughs> you know? But it was cool. Hey, man. Like, Jay Lee does that on Superman, Batman. It's true. It's true. Yeah. He did like full page, you know, full yeah. page panels for sure. But they were like kinetically... <laughs> Bam, slam, this thing is happening. <laughs> but you know what? That was the time. Right. That wasn't necessarily. That's, I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm saying he came out of that like, school. That The whole idea of like widescreen. Right. You know, action comics came about with like Brian Hitch's authority. Right. And, and so that oh, was the yeah. time that this book lived in. And Brian Hitch, probably huge Joe Mad fan. You know, and was like, man, I want to do that too. You know, and that's yeah. We want to talk about a guy that has scheduling problems, right? I mean, that's a whole different show. I come down in favor of Battle Chasers. I think it's a fun experience. I think it's awesome. I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but I walked into this going like, man, give me a goddamn break, you know? (laughs) Just because, like I said, Joe Mad, he he's a very controversial figure. I think a lot of artists like hate him because he got so famous and didn't do any of the work. He dropped the mic and walked away. Right. Sort of like when a wrestler comes back from doing movies and the crowd's like, boo, but you're still famous, or I'll gonna watch you wrestle, you know? Like I think a lot of artists are like, that guy, you know, but what it is irresistible. It reminds yeah. me of the 90s. It was fun. It was dumb. I gotta call it awesome too. Not everything has to be a deep, complex, right. rich narrative. Right. Sometimes it's okay to just look at something pretty and enjoy it because it's fun. It's true. Excellent, excellent defense there, Willie. Oh Kids. boy. Well, I feel good. I have the, goosebumps. In the hands of a lesser comic lawyer, I think this one would have gotten barbecued. <laughs> Thank you again to Willie Toots for letting us judge his questionable nerd tastes in front of the internet and everyone. And if you want to see justice done for a wrongfully accused comic series, character, storyline, or creator, post your brief defense over at the Defender section of the THN forums, and you could be the next attorney appearing in front of the two-headed judge. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for another wild card episode of THN. If you're wowed by two unprepared nerds pulling a segment out of their butts and forcing a friend to help them out with it, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher or tune in where we need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your cute little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in flaming Sambuca shots, you can make your donation in any amount using our dismal... I'm not even going to ask why. I set my face on fire last night. Okay. You can make your donation in any amount using our drunken, feisty little PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. Toots, take it away. All right, while you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this holofoil-enhanced list of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd questions or trivia challenges. You can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions or ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, alert us with your favorite Twitter scam, and rap about comics. (laughs) I could not have been more professional, (laughs) sir. (laughs) 
<laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life right now, get over to twoheadednerd.com and check out a new Saturday morning cartoons by The Credible Hulk. This one, I think, is pretty weird. What is it? You're going to have to check it out for yourself. What is it? Just, just Oh, man, just I never it. go to that stupid site. Just look at it, man. <laughs> the all-new question of the week, which will be posted on Sunday. It's true. The controversial as ever, ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers. Oh, man, is he all fired up again? And I believe there's even a review of... Days of Future Past. Hey. Also by the Credible Hulk. That guy, he's a hardworking love slave. I'll tell you what. That's right. We could let him out of the box more often. <laughs> Next week, we're playing Ask a Nerd, so get to the forums and hit us with your comic questions or trivia challenge for that pointy-headed comic know-it-all, Joe Patrick. We haven't had a trivia challenge for a while. I would love one. Joe, just for your information, not allowed to look at the Ask a Nerd forum. So, if you're going to post a trivia question, I'm telling you, he can't cheat. He won't do it. He thinks he's going to go to heaven someday, so he's not going <laughs> hey. to cheat. Hey, now, before we go, this week's shout-out goes to Chip Gray, an anonymous Twitter user that surfaced during the Comics for Kids scandal. Gray was instrumental in preserving posts that Michael Whitehead was deleting to cover his tracks and spreading the word about the charity's shady behavior. Word to you, Chip! You the man! Would you change your name if it was Whitehead? Like, that's like... Hey, zit face, you know. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, most notably Princess Ugg, number one from Oni, because your retailer might just kiss you on the mouth for it. And if that retailer is Joe Patrick, I guarantee it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Put on your lipstick, baby. He'll use tongue, too. It's out I'm there. <laughs> hey. I'm ready. There's no need to panic. It's a panic.